There are two things in life that we that we always lie about. The one is we say I'm fine when people ask. We're never fine, <laughs> but we just go I'm fine. The second thing is we say yes, I've read the T's and C's. Absolute nonsense in most cases. And I think that's it with when it comes to financial decisions. Those T's and C's are crucial. Have you ever wondered about how we make decisions about our money? Or why we feel the way we do about those decisions? Welcome to Nudging Financial Behavior, the podcast that aims to help you understand how and why you make certain decisions about money. Presented by Dr. Giselle Willows, an expert in behavioral finance. This podcast is all about looking at human behavior and biases, especially when it comes to your finances. You can catch the series on YouTube, the Nudging Financial Behavior blog, or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to like and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, IG Market South Africa, a world-leading online trading provider that gives you access to opportunities across thousands of financial markets through their intuitive platforms and apps. Let's get started. Welcome to the fifth episode of season two of the Nudging Financial Behavior podcast. I'm Dr. Giselle Willows. Great to have you here with us. In this series, we're breaking down human behavior and biases as we try to help you understand how and why you make certain decisions about your finances. This is the last episode of this little mini series that we're doing on risk and loss aversion. I know we're onto our fifth episode here, but it's a big topic and there is a lot to wrap our heads around. Today, I want to introduce you to a field of study called impression management. I've also got Candice Burgess Look, a PR specialist who knows all about managing perceptions, joining me to help with our discussion. But before we do that, it's time for me to remind you to hit the like and subscribe buttons, please. Okay, let's get going with impression management. I'm sure you can tell what it's all about just by looking at the name. You're managing the impression that people have of you or whatever it is that you're trying to present. Consider a company's earning announcement. I'm sure you can just imagine how any company will want to ensure that stakeholders and the public see the information in as positive a light as possible. Essentially, impression management uses subtleties to make you feel better about the information you're being presented with. There are many ways this is done. In financial reports, we often see tactics such as overloading you with information around things they don't want you to understand and using symbols rather than words for things they want to draw your attention to. And finally, using prospect theory and drip feeding the good news throughout the report so that you almost forget about the bad news that was 20 pages earlier. Remember that prospect theory showed us how we value losses more than gains. Because the S-curve is steeper with losses or bad news, the principle is that you give all the bad news at once. Rip that band-aid off and get it all over and done with. Whereas gains or good news, you rather give incrementally. Basically, you want to milk the good stuff. Each time you bring in some more good news, you're maximizing that positive utility. And yes, you've probably picked up on this already. We are still talking about loss aversion in this episode. The basic theory is if you have bad news, give it all in one go. And if you have good news, drip feed it. Impression management is not something new. Human beings have been doing this since we could communicate with each other. We all want to put our best foot forward. 
16th century political scientist Niccolò Machiavelli described the practice quite well. Do all the harm you must at one and the same time. That way, the full extent of it will not be noticed and it will give least offence. One should do good. On the other hand, little by little, so people can fully appreciate it. What he is saying here is that understanding our loss aversion allows us to frame and time information in such a way that we can maximize impact. Essentially, impression management is all about playing on your loss aversion. So, let's see how a smart CEO, aware of behavioral finance principles, can use this particular bias to create a good morale in the office, despite some bad news. The reality is that the business is struggling. So, the CEO gathers everyone for a meeting and delivers the bad news. Due to financial challenges, the company is implementing significant cost-cutting measures, including freezing salaries and reducing benefits. Now, as the meeting progresses, the CEO reveals that the company will provide additional training and skills development programs to enhance employees' expertise, ensuring they remain competitive in the job market despite the freeze in salaries. Next, the CEO announces that the company will introduce flexible work hours and remote work options, allowing employees to achieve a better work-life balance, really dragging out the good news bit by bit. Finally, the CEO unveils a new employee recognition program where outstanding performance will be rewarded with bonuses, acknowledging and appreciating employees' hard work and dedication. In this scenario, the bad news is presented all at once. Then, the good news is drip-fed throughout the meeting, gradually improving the overall impression and lessening the impact of the negative announcement. Now, I'm not saying that this practice is wrong, I'm saying it's clever. But I'm also saying that we need to be aware of it. Impression management is everywhere. Sometimes it's completely unconscious. Something we do in our everyday lives. We might fudge the truth a little bit so that we don't look like we did something a bit silly. I mean, what's the first thing we do when we trip over in public? We look back to see what we tripped over and try to make it obvious to everyone that it's not our fault that we tripped. It was the uneven pavement. Hey, I'm clumsy. I'm a victim of uneven paving all the time. And it's a natural thing to do, to make yourself look a little bit, or a lot, better in front of other people. Think about your profile picture on Facebook, Instagram. I'm pretty sure you didn't upload the most natural photo of yourself. You upload a good photo of yourself. You want to give the impression of a successful, happy or adventurous life. And that's totally okay, provided it's actually you and your life. Because catfishing is not cool. I actually got a little story from Steve Ward, remember our guest from episode one, about how he's worried that he might be seen as a catfisher. I don't know if it's really a catfishing story, but uh, the one I'm going to share is, is a very simple one, which is really, I guess, based around uh, represent, is it a true representation of the person. And the only one that really came to mind was uh, just thinking about maybe on social media, which I'm not a big user of, but my the, the profile picture I send to clients and probably is my LinkedIn picture as well from, from memory is one that's maybe a few years old. And, um, and you can judge it for yourself, all of you. You can obviously look at the, the video and go back to the, to the picture. Um, I think it's a fair likeness. I wouldn't say it's unfair, but I wouldn't say it's maybe a true likeness. There's, there's definitely probably more grey hairs than there were. Probably, I think it's maybe five, six, seven years old. So, and again, it's not a vanity thing. It's just one of those I've not got around to updating them. So, but now it's now it's in my mind. I'm probably going to have to go and update so I don't be accused of of being a catfisher in the future. 
like I said, we're all guilty of posting pictures that show us in our best possible light. Of course, impression management is also used deliberately and strategically in many ways. Think about celebrity endorsements. Companies will leverage the positive image associated with the celebrity to create a favorable impression of the product. Think of Nike's long-standing association with athletes like Michael Jordan. What if I was just a basketball player? Can you imagine it? I can. Or Pepsi's campaigns featuring pop star Beyonce. And every South African will remember Faf Duplessis' adverts for budget car insurance. But bad things happen to good South Africans. Faf deserves better. Thankfully, he's with Budget, the official insurer of good South Africans. And just like that, his big body is fixed with a lifetime guarantee. Because Budget doesn't f around. So come on, South Africa. These endorsements create a positive impression about the brand and its products. Luxury brands in particular carefully manage their image to create an impression of exclusivity and high quality. Their marketing materials, store designs and packaging are meticulously crafted to evoke a sense of something truly special. Perfume brands do it a lot. Chanel is famous for partnering with actors and most recently bringing on Timothée Chalamet to be the face of one of their men's fragrances. And I love you. And no one knows how to garner the power of impression management better than a marketer. In marketing, it's actually twofold. Firstly, they offer you the best product ever. This product will make your troubles go away, it'll make your life easier, and it'll make you feel happy. Secondly, owning this product will make you look better. People around you will have a better impression of you when you buy this product. To help us understand how impression management is used strategically in the marketing and public relations world, I've got PR specialist Candice Burgess look on the line. Candice has worked in PR for 18 years and currently runs her own business. Welcome to the podcast, Candice. Giselle, thank you very much for having me. Or shall I say Dr. Giselle, thank you for having me. I've been speaking to our listeners about impression management and marketing, but you're more in the public relations sphere. Can you give us a quick overview of what you actually do? Well, public relations essentially comes down to communication and how a company or a brand communicates with both their internal stakeholders as well as their external stakeholders. So where I come into play very much so is around the external stakeholders part around communicating to media, shareholders um, and uh, your customers. So within that, a very big cog in the machine to speak to impression management, what you were touching on, is perception management. So my job essentially is, I like to call myself a perception management practitioner, because um, I'm constantly responsible for managing how my clients' external stakeholders, and sometimes their internal stakeholders, are perceiving the brand and the communication that they're putting out there. It sounds like the same thing, impression, perception management. Do you perhaps have details around a particular campaign that you maybe ran for a client or something you did where you used, you don't have to give client names away, but where you perhaps used perception management to successfully help that client? 
Sure, just very quickly up front, if I can just go into a couple of the steps that perception management involves, and this will just help listeners to um, understand how I apply it to an example. So the first step about perception management is to is to plan. So it's very important that that companies plan what they want to say and how they want to say it. So it's about choosing your words, um, if I can say say correctly. The second thing is the way to really get that across is to connect. So we're in the world of 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 um, you know we're, we're always selling things and trading things, but at the end of the day, it's all about connecting, and it's about connecting with individuals and it's about connecting with humans. So a big part of impression management or perception management is how are you connecting with your audience? And that comes down to understanding your company's values um, and understanding the emotional triggers or the emotional um, responses that you desire to get from your various stakeholders. So connecting is a big, big part of it. And then the third thing with perception management is anticipating um, what the response is going to be. So it's so vital to anticipate whenever you're putting out any kind of communication, anticipating what response your audience is going to give you. Is it going to be, what are the, what are the possible scenarios around negative responses and what are the possible scenarios around positive responses? So off the back of that, that's just a very quick overview of the steps involved in perception management. Um, so I had a client not too long ago who came to me and he was working very much in the health and wellness space. Um, self-help space, kind of alternative medicine, alternative psychology space. And he said to me, you know what, Candice, a lot of people would call me a quack. And I just want to change that perception. You know, we're living in the 21st century and we're living in such a fast-paced environment. And I just feel that the work that I have to offer is so important and it's, it really can help to heal people and, and to help them work better in their workplace and, and, and just function better in their life as parents, as people, as friends, as family members. But I'm often perceived as a quack, you know, because I don't sell myself as a psychologist or a medical practitioner. I sell myself as a self, a self help um, practitioner or a healer or a spiritual awakening practitioner. And I said, you know, what you do is so fascinating. I think what we first need to do is plan, right? That's the first thing is planning. How are we going to change the public perception? Or the perception of those people that you engage with, that you're not just some quack selling some random nonsense or what people like to term as new age stuff. So the first thing was to really understand who he was as a person um, and to tap into his qualifications and to, and to build his profile in, in, in such a way that people can, can buy into what he has to say. So I said, listen, tell me about your background. Tell me about your training. Turns out this guy has been all over the world. He's got so much experience in teaching um, his methods. He has studied psychology. He has a postgrad in psychology, has a postgrad in um, a medical science degree, um, all kinds of certificates. I thought, fabulous. I mean, this is the kind of meat and experience that we need to get across to your, to your audience. So we really tapped into that. We also then tapped into research. Research is such a um, powerful tool to use in perception management because people buy into research. If you can, your brand or your company can say, you know what, we did some extensive research with our audience and 50% of our audience is telling us that they are burnt out by the time they even reached February or March in a new year. So that's the kind of research that we did with him. Um, and off the back, by using his credentials and by using uh, studies and, and evidence-based research, we were able to create a substantial profile that separated him from the so-called quacks and new age stuff to actually being someone of authority on the matter. 
um, a way to put it across very simply is creating a thought leader in the space, if that makes sense. And after we did that and we went to the media with some fascinating stories and the fascinating research and his profile, um, he was able to see a lot of, a lot of positive traction and, and, and kind of a shift in, in the space, in, in, in the space of his target audience, if that makes any sense. Makes complete sense. Such simple steps, but it really works. Exactly. And, and that's it. The more simple you can be, the better. It's, it's all about, like I say, connecting and using that human connection, but um, tying it in. Oh, sorry. There goes my earphone. <laughs> but tying it in with a way that um, people can buy into, such as research and evidence-based studies, is a really great tactic to use for, for perception management. Yes, really, really good. So something that I've been chatting to the listeners about, just talking about impression management specifically, is how we should always give bad news all in one go, but good news should be given out slowly over time. Is this something you've ever deployed or used in a PR campaign or anything like that? 100% spot on. So a big part of my job is to get my clients into the media space uh, via interviews on radio stations, on TV news, um, in print publications and magazines, etc. So it's a big part of my job. And once I secure that publicity for them, um, I use an outsourced monitoring agency that sends me the alerts via email to say your, your, your client was featured here, your client was featured here, etc. So it's very tempting to want to just send it all to the client right away and say, look, look at the wonderful coverage we've secured for you. Um, but something I was taught when I, you know, by my mentor in PR was to drip feed the coverage. And what that does is it creates the perception for the client that you are always working for them. Because if I share everything in one day, all this great news in one day, that, and it's on Monday, I've got nothing to share Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And the perception is, even though it's not true, the perception is, you know, what, what is Candace doing for me this week? I haven't heard from her since Monday. So it's such a simple tactic, but it's, it's, it's also, um, I think psychologically, it's, uh, it's just a little shift in, in the person's mind in terms of how they're receiving information because we get dopamine hits from receiving good news. So as you drip feed things and the more good news you receive, in bouts, you're getting that dopamine hit. Um, so that, that, that perception management wheel is just turning constantly in a positive way. So clever. So let's change the discussion a bit and talk about the ethics of what we're doing here and what ethical considerations companies should keep in mind when employing impression management techniques. Are there any examples where you've seen companies face backlash due to their approach to shaping public perception? And were there any lessons learned from that? I think so many companies have <laughs> had to learn from negative experiences in this area. Um, so ethically, in, in PR and perception management, rule number one is never lie. Um, we all know the whole no comment rule, but never, never lie. Because if, if you can't back up your claim or what you're saying, it's, it's, it's going to come back. Uh, there's going to be some backlash. So I, I do actually have a, a campaign I worked on a good few years ago, and it's always just stuck out in my head as a great example is, I'm not going to mention the name of the brand just to out of courtesy to them. Um, but they had run a competition for consumers to to win up to 5 million rand. Obviously, there was a mechanism in place. 
um, where consumers had to take certain steps to enter the competition, etc. But the communication that they put out there was, I, th- I think, for the first time, the, the first piece of communication was stand a chance to win up to five million rand. There's the, that that word up to five million rand, and and that that piece of communication was only um, visible on I think their websites in a very small way. The rest of the communication was. Are you, a, you know, are you going to win the, the, the five million rand? We're giving away five million rand. And this got South Africans really excited, especially in our tough economy. And, it, uh, you know, we've always battled in our economy. And it was around Christmas time as well. And, you know, you can change someone's life with five million rand. Anyway, it turns out, long story short, that on the day of the actual um, competition, when they were giving away the money, there were a whole bunch of hoops to jump through and they weren't actually giving away the whole five million, although it was possible had the contestant chose this box or that box or there was a whole rigmarole to it. And people were left with such a sour taste in their mouth going, but this wasn't communicated and I didn't quite pick that up from their communication. Now, the brand's response to that was, well, we have legal legs to stand on. You know, it was in our T's and C's and we did use the words up to and that's all very well, but the man on the street who's listening to the radio or seeing something in news or whatever thinks he's going to win five million rand. Um, so yo, it came back to hit them badly in a very, very, very negative way. They, they lost a lot of following after that, and social media was such a buzz. I don't know if they've ever recovered from that. So, I mean, you have to ask yourself those questions. That comes really comes back to perception management in terms of how are you crafting your communication Perception management is the game of well-crafted communication. And everybody thinks they can write and everybody thinks they have something to say. But you have to pedal, pedal back and say, what am I saying? And what are the possible scenarios when this communication hit the public? How is it going to be perceived or how is it going to be understood emotionally? Because if you're triggering emotions like you can win five million rand, You've got to, you, you've really got to be able to back that up. So if, if that, that example is really one that sticks out to me because the communication was so poor. Yes, I know. It's also like when you walk into a store and there's a sale and they say up to 80% off on goods, up to yes. 80%. And it's always like the top I pick off the railing is only 10% off because it's that yes. up to. But I need to ask you now because you said we all know the no comment rule. I don't know the no comment rule. What's the no comment rule? Oh, <laughs> so, um, you know, this is, this is from a, a media and publicity perspective. If there's a crisis and something terrible has happened, um, you know, with your company and it's, there's, there's bad publicity, if, if a journalist phones you or you're on TV and you're being asked a question about said scenario, said circumstance, the worst thing you can do is say no comments. Because automatically then the perception is, oh, you're guilty. The audience say, thinks to themselves, why won't they answer the question? Why won't they comment on, on the story? What are they hiding? So that's usually the first rule of, um, of media and communication is never say no comment if someone's asking you a question. It's the same as a customer asking a, a company a question. You can't say, I don't know, or I have no comment for you. You have to have an answer. That's your job. Just as long as you are truthful in your answers. And even if you do, exactly, exactly. Even if your answer is you don't have the answer, you have to say, that's a really great question. And um, unfortunately, I don't have the answer at this time, but 
we will get back to you. Take accountability. Yes, definitely. So a large part, in fact, the main focus of this podcast is to try to help people spot factors that could be impacting their decisions, especially decisions around money. Mm. With impression management or perception management being such a big factor in how products and services are sold to us, how do you think the public can guard against being taken for a ride? What should we be looking out for? Well, I think I think having a simple understanding of marketing can go a long way. Like we've just touched on the up to 80% off or win up to 5 million. So just engage with the communication. Whatever communication is coming at you, just engage with it fully. Listen wholeheartedly um, and read those T's and C's. Those T's and C's are there for a reason. And I think I was at a workshop yesterday and um, a customer experience workshop. And the speaker said, there are two things in life that we that we always lie about the one is we say i'm fine when people ask we're never fine (laughs) but we just go i'm fine the second thing is we say yes i've read the t's and c's absolute nonsense in most cases and i think that's it with when it comes to financial decisions those t's and c's are crucial one of the banks that were actually at this um this conference yesterday had said you know we are guilty of trying to play it too safe and our, our T's and C's and our addendums are just so long and we know that our customers are not reading them and they get trapped. So I think, you know, ask questions, engage with the communication, take the time to read T's and C's, especially when it comes to financial decisions and do not fall prey to, to marketing tactics because unfortunately they're out there and everyone's trying to make a buck. Um, so just take your time and also speak to experts. I think reach out to experts who, who, who can, who can, um, give you advice and lead you in the right direction. Don't, don't make knee jerk reactions. Thank you, Candace. These are really useful insights and it's great to have the perspective of someone who isn't working directly in the finance industry on the show for a change because it just reminds mm. us that there are these different avenues and they all impact the many decisions that we make. So thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. As you can see, impression management has a lot to do with how information is framed. Do you remember our episode on framing in season one? The framing effect. This one is all about how we present it with information and how that changes how you feel about that information. Framing is used all the time to help shape our understanding of the world. Some even argue that framing is simply giving you context for a topic or piece of information. Remember the dynamics of loss aversion. If, as a company, you pay out bonuses once a year, you might consider taking that same bonus and dividing it up into smaller, mini-bonuses throughout the year. Prospect theory tells us this practice will maximize the utility received by employees. You can also flip impression management around and use it to get something that you might want. If you're trying to convince someone of something, don't focus on the advantages, rather highlight how it will help them avoid the disadvantages. As an example, If you wanted to convince someone that being an alcoholic is bad, don't tell them that if they stopped drinking, they could get a better job and earn more money. Rather tell them that they could lose their spouse and children. Okay, bringing the conversation back to your financial behavior. It's important to know that understanding the power of how information is displayed to you can really help you when it comes to future financial decisions. Instead of getting swept up in the tactics of impression management, rather take some time to do proper research. For example, when you're deciding on companies to invest in, know that the earnings report has been put together in a subjective way. 
make sure you go through the report and highlight the facts before you make a decision. When you're looking at insurance products, life insurance, medical aid, retirement annuities, make sure you're looking at the facts of the product you're buying and not the feel-good PR put out by the company. And be smarter than the synonyms people use on you. When looking at a real estate listing, if you read the word cozy, it actually means small. That second-hand car that's described as well-loved most likely has a lot of miles on it and has had more than a few bumps along the way. Okay, we're wrapping up our discussion on risk and loss aversion. Although, you'll see that they crop up again and again when we're discussing other biases in this season. I just want to do a quick recap for you because it was a lot of information. Firstly, risk aversion is when you far prefer a guaranteed outcome. You don't like uncertainty. If you're offered a guaranteed amount or the option of potentially winning double that amount, you'll most likely take the guaranteed amount rather than the bet. Now risk, or rather a risky investment, is one that has the potential for significant gain, but also has a high chance of making a big loss in the same time period. And your risk tolerance is your ability to handle the uncertainty and all the ups and downs, which we also refer to as volatility, with that risky investment. Loss aversion, a different bias, is when you value a loss far more than you value a gain. If an investment has the potential to result in a loss, you'll probably need the opportunity to gain double the potential loss amount to make that investment worthwhile to you. We also covered the gambler's fallacy and the hot hand effect. And then we looked at the disposition effect, which is when investors display risk-seeking behavior with their losses, they hold onto them, but they're risk-averse with their wins and they sell them. And today we looked at impression management. That was quite a lot, but that's it for our mini-series on risk aversion and loss aversion. As you can see, these biases are all intertwined and have many different elements that can play on your mind. I can't stress enough that if we need to make sure that we're aware of our natural human behavior so we can spot when our biases are impacting our decision-making. Thanks for watching or listening. I'll see you in the next episode where we're looking at a new bias, availability. But before I go, please don't forget to like this episode. That was Nudging Financial Behavior, hosted by behavioral finance expert, Dr. Giselle Willows. Make sure you like and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can catch the Nudging Financial Behavior podcast on YouTube, our blog, or your favorite podcast streaming platform. Thank you again to our sponsors, IG Market South Africa, for helping to bring the show to life. And now for the disclaimer. This podcast should not be seen as advice. All the information and opinions are the general nature. They are not intended to address the needs or circumstances of any individual. We are not financial advisors, neither are any of our staff or service providers, nor is our sponsor. All expressions of opinion by the host or guest are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. Any information you get from us should be seen as only that, information only.